it's uh, a pleasure. It's worth it. All that jet lag. Pastor Mitchell said it's nothing but self-pity anyway. <laughs> so I showed up at leadership one time. And he said, how you doing? I said, oh, I'm a little blurry-eyed, but I don't have any jet lag. <laughs> what a great, great spirit, great music. Even the white boys are getting into it, you know. <laughs> and Angie Nichols can testify. I'm preaching, pastoring in Ogden, Utah, and God starts saving gang members. I have no clue what, what in the world's happening. We've got whole rows filled with uh, gang members getting saved, cholos. I, had no, I didn't know what a cholo was. I thought it was Mexican food, you know. <laughs> so, give, me, give me two cholos and frijoles. And, <laughs> and I'd walk in to the entrance of the building, and there's eight guys standing back there. And the feet look like penguins. I said, is that birth defect or is that? And... Uh, God was saving uh, gang members, and uh, then God added in some color to the church. A few white people got saved. <laughs> Ex-Mormons, which is another story altogether. But uh, God has a sense of humor. If you have your Bibles tonight, I want to minister on this, uh, my final shot here, out of the book of Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, I was up in Oklahoma a month ago, visiting my mother, celebrating her uh, birthday. She turned 79, almost 80 years old, and she gave me an article. She said, I knew that you would appreciate this article. It's about Pentecostals who have moved to traditional service. And here's my mother who's been saved for a long, long time, and she said, when I read it, I got upset about it. At the Three Crosses Church in Los Angeles, Pastor Ken Walters urges his parishioners to join him in song and scripture. Charismatic 58-year-old extends his arms skyward and belts out melodies praising God while the small assemblies of God congregation goes through all the traditional trappings of a Pentecostal service. There's one notable absence, speaking in tongues. The 40-member church is among many nationwide that are reducing or cutting out altogether speaking in tongues as they become more popular and move to the mainstream. The Assemblies of God, one of the nation's largest Pentecostal denomination with 3 million members, has 66 million members worldwide. Assemblies officials, officials worried about the decline in messages in tongues or spirit baptism at a general council meeting this month. The practice decreased by 3% to fewer than 82,000, the lowest total since 1995, according to statistics released by the Assemblies of God. Now listen to this. Meanwhile, newer strands of Pentecostalism, often with roots in other countries like Nigeria, El Salvador, continue to emphasize the practice in church as well as in personal prayer. And it tells me something that God is moving in the nations of the world. 
And I'm happy to be a part of a fellowship that we are not ashamed to be Pentecostal. I don't park my car on the back side of the building for fear somebody might find out I was here tonight. We pray for people publicly. We don't mind that people's mascara might run. We don't care if we get snot on the altar or that people get beside themselves in the service of the Lord. Thank God tonight for the Holy Ghost. It's very evident in scriptures that God's very nature is symbolized by fire. Our God is a consuming fire. So I want to minister tonight on firepower from the book of Hebrews chapter 12, beginning of verse number 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Notice verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, I love that connotation. I know the charismatics want to talk about the dove, but I want to tell you the dove has a flamethrower. And I've been praying this afternoon that he would show up here in mighty power tonight, that we would receive a fresh baptism. There is one baptism, but many infillings. Ephesians 5, 18, be filled with the Spirit. It actually reads, stay filled. And then he tells us how to stay filled, by singing to yourself. How many know it's all right to talk to yourself as long as you don't answer yourself? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, by the Holy Ghost, we come by the blood of Jesus tonight. I'm asking, Father, you would break in to this service tonight. Anoint your servant. Let the power, let the anointing, God, destroy every yoke. Fill afresh tonight. We thank you for the power of God that's in the precious blood. In Jesus' powerful name, and all of God's people said, Amen. In the book of Exodus 24, verse 17, the Bible said the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. One of the symbols of the Holy Spirit is fire. And I want to tell you that fire can change the landscape of things. I was preaching several years ago in Davao City. Pastor Mark Olson was pioneering. We were both living in the Philippines at the time. He was running about 35 people there. Every morning we would go to morning prayer. An ice truck would pull up every day. They delivered ice the old-fashioned way, big blocks of ice. No one paid any attention. That evening we were at Shakey's Pizza. Can you imagine that? Shakey's has evangelized the world. 
The church is still praying about it. We're sitting at Shakey's, and a fire breaks out in the largest furniture store in Devout. The streets filled with hundreds of people. We couldn't leave the pizza place. We had to stay till the crowds cleared away. And I got me an illustration. No one ever follows an ice wagon. But they will follow a fire truck. Fire brings intrigue. And I've been called by God to be a pyromaniac. I've not been called to be a brakeman, but a fireman. And that is to direct the fire. And the Bible said the cloven tongues as a fire set upon each of them. Fire illumines and sheds light. It speaks of revelation. Fire purges. It speaks of sanctification. Fire gives off energy or power. That's Holy Ghost fire. Fire is attractive. It's magnetic. It brings intrigue. I'll never forget several years ago, they were in a revival in El Paso, Texas with, with Evangelist Harry Hills. And the neighbors called the fire department. The reason why they called the fire department is because they saw fire leaping off the roof of the building. The fire truck came to the church to put the fire out, but it wasn't that kind of fire. That's Holy Ghost fire. The Bible speaks of Moses, that God appeared to him in a burning bush and caused him, the Bible said, to turn aside and take off his sandals. See, this is the nature of God. In 1 Kings chapter 18, the prophet said, that the God who answers by fire, let him be God. In the book of Luke chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus said, I came to send fire on the earth. How I wish it were already kindled. Well, I want to tell you tonight, there is no shortage of power in the kingdom of God. They may run out of gas at Esso. They may run out of gas at Mobile and Texaco, but they will not run out of power in the kingdom because Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 19 says these words, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly Places And I love this part, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. There is no power shortage. You see, the issue tonight in this generation is power, and millions are turning to the occult and to the new age for a reason. And the reason why they're turning many times is because they can't find it in the church. God has built this into us. We are hardwired with an innate desire for the supernatural so the human race gets involved in magical healing, occult, rubbing Buddha's belly, any way that they can find power. But I've come to tell you this evening, we have found power in the Holy Ghost. That greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, again, listen to these words. For our God is a consuming fire. I want to look at with you, first of all, tonight, today's fire brigade. 
The attack of the enemy today doesn't come from cold-blooded sinners. The attack today comes from cold-blooded religionists. Religious people resist fire. What stirred me to preach on this subject matter was an article that I just read about an upcoming conference in Southern California. It's going to be held October 16th through the 18th, 2013, hosted by John MacArthur and R.C. Spruill. And the title of the conference is Strange Fire. In the advertising for the last hundred years, the charismatic movement has been offering a strange fire of sorts. And they said in this conference, they're going to set forth what the Bible really says about the Holy Spirit and how that squares with the charismatic movement. And I read that, I thought to myself, the issue today is not strange aberrations. The issue today is not strange fire. The real issue, there is no fire. See, this is an example of when the issue isn't the real issue. The real issue is not strange fire. Strange aberrations, I'm, I, I'm sure they're really minimal. It's a minimal issue. I'm sure there are some, you know, that have been involved in craziness, that, you know, that's gone on out there. But that shouldn't be our concern. Maybe you had a bad experience with questionable practices and Maybe you're gun-shy, and rightly so, but it's sad when folks misrepresent the truth and throw out the baby with the bathwater. The question is not strange aberrations or strange fire. That's not the problem in the American church. The issue in the American church, there is no fire. They're dead as a doornail, rigid. They give you... Three foot by three foot menu at the back door and tell you what's going to happen next. Revelations chapter 3, Jesus is knocking on the door of his church. And I've preached from that text that he's knocking on the door of the human heart, but he's really not knocking on the door of a human heart at all. I saw pictures of this in Sunday school of the human heart and the doorknob is on the inside and I'm sure it makes for a great illustration but he's not knocking there on the door of a human heart he's knocking on the door of his church trying to beg his way back into the program we think that we can have a move of God without the spirit listen the Bible said it's not by might nor by power but by his spirit saith the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house they that labor labor in vain we need God Dead religious folks always warning about wildfire. Well, I'd rather have wildfire than rigor mortis sit in. I can direct the fire. We can give direction to some excitement. But it's hard to ride a dead horse. You ever been raised around horses? You can strap on a sterling silver bridle. You can strap on a beautiful saddle, but he ain't going to ride. You can beat him, keep beating. He's not riding. You can direct something that's moving. And the Bible said in the Old Testament very clearly, if you want to keep the stalls clean, keep the oxen out. No talkie, no caca, that means no life. <laughs> Revival is messy. 
Let's be honest. We want this nice, dignified, respectable, sterile revival no one's going to get in the flesh. Strange aberrations. You think these people would learn after the first time. Here's a man who wrote a book, Charismatic Chaos, and the only thing it was good for was to start a good fire. <laughs> Charismatic Chaos. And in the book, he's attacking John Wimber's ministry, and he gets sued for over a million dollars because he counseled someone who committed suicide. You think he would get it, now we're going to have another conference. They still don't get it. Because when you begin to attack the Holy Spirit and begin to, uh, uh, begin to speak against the Spirit of God, you're walking on thin ice. He's talking about a church that he visited in California and people were jumping up on top of chairs and clapping. I thought to myself, where is that church? Give me the address. Some just, I just lost some of you just then. <laughs> but so the strongest words given in the Bible are warnings about speaking against the Holy Spirit. Jesus said every sin can be forgiven among men but one. I'm sitting with a pastor not long ago. Along with some of his members of his church, one man was mocking all the evangelists. Mocking Oral Roberts, I thought to myself, when you build a ministry as large as he is, then speak about it. But until then, keep your mouth off of him. Hello. He was the leading healing evangelist. You can speak against Smith Wigglesworth as long as you can raise 22 or 23 people from the dead. In the meantime, mind your own business. Keep your cheap leather-lit fakery to yourself. I listened to it for about 15 minutes in front of his pastor. I rebuked him. We won't have you back for revival. Good. No problem with me. No sweat off my back. I'll go home and sleep like a baby. <laughs> Matthew 12, 31, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven of men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What this is is attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to a devil. Of course we have to have discernment. But I can tell you for the most part, strange aberrations are minimal. But dead churches in this country are the majority. So, dead, so cold, you can skate down the center aisle and shake hands with a polar bear behind the pulpit. Many of them have degrees. They have so many degrees behind their name, you could call them Dr. Fahrenheit. <laughs> I, I was raised in that kind of religion. And you were too. And I remember our pastor got up one Sunday morning and said they left a candle burning down in the basement last night and it burned the piano up. And that's the first fire we've had in this church in 18 years. My niece fell asleep one Sunday morning. She jerked in her sleep, hit the wooden floor, and woke up four rows of people. <laughs> you talk about persecution. 
getting saved in that kind of a scene and filled with the Holy Ghost. And on fire for God, and my Sunday school teacher asked me as a teenager, would you like to stand up and share with this class? I said, yes, I'd love to share with this class. And I got up and preached on the Holy Ghost. I preached on who he is, what he'll do for you, and how to receive him. And that afternoon, they gave me the left foot of fellowship. But they kicked me out into a larger crowd. We're very clearly warned. Matthew 12, 32, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. Maybe you read about the American tourist that breaks the finger off of a 600-year-old Italian statue. You know, there's a few basic rules in the museum. The first and most important is don't touch the art. Unfortunately, that's what one 55-year-old American tourist from Missouri did during a recent visit to a museum, and the result was a 600-year-old statue lost a finger. We are sure that the damage was caused by the American tourist because the work has recently returned from an exhibition. The tourist apologized and was very disappointed for good reason. In addition to dealing with the embarrassment of breaking a piece of valuable art, the man also has to deal with the Florence Police Department who were notified of the incident by the museum. The man that was arrested was a surgeon. <laughs> Boy, that gives you confidence for an operation, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, sorry. Cut off the wrong leg and you want to sue them and you don't have a leg to stand on. I'm telling you, these men are walking on thin ice when you attribute the manifestation of the Holy Spirit to the devil. And we're very clearly warned, do not quench the Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit has a will. It means the Holy Spirit is a person. Luke 3, 16, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I am unworthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 1 Kings 18, verse 24 again, then you will call on the name of your gods. I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. This brings me secondly to a very dangerous pattern that's emerging in the so-called evangelical world. And we're talking here tonight about strange bedfellows. There's a certain pattern that emerges right here. There's a very strategic assault that emerges here against the fire of God's Spirit. Paul describes it to the T, that the devil is the one that's behind it. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, listen, he addresses the issue, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power. This is what we need in our churches. Pastor Mitchell handed me the book with signs following in a Perth conference. He said, this is what we need. That was mandatory reading when I was in cemetery, uh, seminary. 
2 Corinthians 10, 4, Paul speaks of casting down imaginations. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The word imaginations is also fantasies. Another translation, proud logic, intellectual prowess. Paul said, the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now we take for granted that everyone who comes through the door understands what's going on in here. But to a natural man who walks into our worship service, he comes to the conclusion that we're all crazy folks. I mean, can still remember, first time it happened, one evangelist calls speaking in tongues as the first altar call. I'll never forget it. I mean, I was in a service. The pastor said, lift up your hands, and I was so nervous. I, they looked like two shovels. I'd never been in a place like that. That's the natural man thinking. I used to tell my little skinny brother, we'd be walking home from junior high school, we'd get close to that Pentecostal church, we'd cross over on the other side of the road. They'd be having meetings. I'd tell my brother, let's go down and watch the show. We'd be looking through the windows, but I'm happy to be to tell you tonight that I'm one of the actors now. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. It totally revolutionized my life, revolutionized my testimony, my ministry. There's an anti-Pentecostal theology that produces a number of things. The natural outflow. Number one, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul are cessationists. I can't believe we have fellowship preachers that are carrying around their books like they're textbooks. Attacking every hero I ever had in the faith. You keep your unbelief to yourself. Amen. I believe God for a move of the Holy Ghost. You mean to tell me those people didn't have flaws? Absolutely people have flaws. But the gift is perfect. That doesn't negate the gift just because somebody went off the rails. I'm not afraid, amen, of emotion. I'm not afraid that people get happy and excited. I'm not afraid that people get on fire for God. Keep, keep your mouth off of those new converts. Let them enjoy their Christian babyhood. We forget that they're not at our level yet. I got two guys saved in Santa Fe, both of them paint sniffers. One of them had a black ring around his nose, and the other had a gold ring around his nose. You should have seen these two guys. They're huffing paint, and they walk into one of our services. You know how you are when you're trying to act sober. They brought them in. I said, watch them. Just let them get the microphone, brother. Keep them, watch them. And they answered the altar call, got saved, instantly sobered up, locked into the church, end up in the men's home. And the first revival we had, these two guys were so excited, one of them jumped up on the other one's shoulders, and they're running back and forth in the back of the church. And instead of paying attention to the platform, Everyone, the whole church turned around watching these guys like they're watching a tennis match. I sent the ushers back. I said, tell them to wait. Don't do that now. But wait till after the service is over and I'll move all the chairs out of the way and they can run all they want without hurting themselves. Because, see, I'm getting ready to give them a little sermon and God said, you keep that to yourself. Oh, people are getting nervous. 
We want a Holy Ghost move without manifestation. We need a drunk to come into our service from time to time and upset the service. We're so predictable we stink. It's fun when someone comes in like that. We had a live one the other night. We had a production and the place was packed to capacity. Can you sing that song, Amazing Grace? You know, it was right, right in the middle. And it just freaked the ushers. It was, one, it was exciting. People woke up. Everybody that was sleeping woke up in the place. We took care of business. We have some big ushers. What does it mean to be a cessationist? Cessation simply means to cease. In other words, they have embraced a false doctrine that teaches that the gifts of the Holy Spirit cease with the apostles, or at least they ceased after the creation of the King James Bible. Number two, cessationists are 99.9% of the time Calvinist. I don't read anti-Pentecostal literature. I don't got time for that stuff. I can have trouble with unbelief in my life. Don't tell me what God can't do. God can heal anything from a hangnail to AIDS. God can take people out of the cemetery tonight and put them at your breakfast table in the morning if he wants to, eating Wheaties. If he can feed 3 million Jews with 640 boxcar loads of manna, a rock can take up legs and walk through the wilderness belching out thousands of gallons of water, shoes growing on their feet, Moses had, had no cataracts, 120 years old, and his eyes were not dimmed. God can do anything. I said, we serve a great God tonight. We, we believe something here. Calvinism is simply unconditional, eternal security. I've heard all the cliches, once a, once a sheep, never a goat. Once saved, always saved. No man can pluck you out of his hand, but you can walk out of his hand. Wow. Biggest word in the Bible is if. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. If. I'm eternally secure because I'm going to stay saved. I don't have to put up a sticker on the mirror every morning. Don't get drunk today. Don't get high. Something happened to me. Thirdly, they feel deputized or called to constantly warn the church of excesses and they write many books warning folks to stay away from tongue-talking churches. You know what this is? Great advertising. Write anything you want to in the paper about my church. Just make sure you get the address correct. <laughs> I'm pastoring in Santa Fe and preaching and I'm off preaching a revival in Flagstaff and at 4.30 in the morning they called me on the phone and said pastor the church is on fire I said glory to God he said no no not that, not that kind of fire these guys broke in set the building they took kerosene went up and down the aisles went into the nursery set the building on fire and they wanted to burn us out so desperately they started another deterrent down the road started a fire among some bales of hay so that we'd give more time for the fire to burn in our building First thing crossed my mind is, what did I preach in the last service? <laughs> Was it idolatry or homosexuality? Come to find out they were just idolatrous perverts. 
God didn't stop moving. I come home, walk into that building, and people walking around there crying like they're at a funeral. So you guys are killing my faith. Just go on home. We'll be fine. <laughs> we moved around like the children of Israel. We moved to the National Guard Armory. And people would call me up on Thursday, where are we going to be this Sunday, Pastor? I said, I don't know, but it's going to be good. And we ended up in the Poco Loco Club. <laughs> Can you believe that? At the Sheridan Hotel. They have a grand baby grand they don't know today that in that nightclub that grand baby grand has been saved sanctified and you know what we did we launched a church out of that bar I put an article in the newspaper uh, on the on a full page ad that said burned out but not stopped come see why the devil hates this church so much we grew we grew during that we moved around and grew 35 people the devil can't stop revival. Revivals are simply diverted into modernism and religiosity. Pentecostals now taking people off to a side room to pray for them to be filled with the Holy Ghost. They're, they're, what they're doing is they're streamlining their service now to make it palatable. I preach my mother says Glenn when you preach you act like you're mad I said mom chill <laughs> so I'm not mad at those people I'm mad at the devil <laughs> number four they're usually anti-emotion they're afraid of volume they criticize open vibrant public praise and constantly warn people about counterfeit revival. But lastly, number five, they're dominated by unbelief. Can you imagine attending this conference? Strange Fire Conference. Wouldn't that be a happy group to be around? What a joyful. They're going to teach seminars about the Holy Spirit, and they've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't you know that's a happy bunch? These are preaching fire marshals. <laughs> this brings me finally to the crying need for fire. I'm not advocating wildfire. I'm not advocating a dancing, laughing revival, but some of us could use some laughter. Were you smiling in church? No, Pastor, it was gas, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> really sorry about that. I love church and this is a happy bunch here you like to fellowship you like to praise could you feel it tonight I know we're not supposed to live by feeling but I love that feeling I have tonight during this worship service could you feel it tonight the dominion and the victory how would you like to attend the strange fire conference <laughs> what a joke more power in these amplifiers <laughs> the deacons are so backslid they sound like billy goats amen <laughs> they stick the songbird up to sing her song and it's dead as a doornail and listen to a seminar about all the accesses of the charismatic movement of course there's accesses that's not our issue that's not the main problem the problem is firepower 
and the crying need is for fire. What we're talking about is the difference between truth on ice and truth on fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Can I remind you the Lord Jesus performed no miracles until he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The apostles were only launched after they had received the fire. These spiritual pyromaniacs, amen, they set the world on fire. Christianity is more than an intellectual exercise. It is potent, it is powerful, it's unshakable, it's unmovable, and it's an unquenchable fire. My prayer is let the fire fall. The issue isn't strange fire, the issue is no fire. And we need to cry out tonight for it because it's not automatic. Well, I was reading a good book. I thought about teaching a Sunday school out of it called The American Gun by Chris Kyle. I'm just teasing. He wrote The American Sniper. He was a Navy SEAL sniper and he's from Texas. He was recently killed on a shooting range by a deranged man he was trying to help. And he wrote a book, A History of the U.S. in Ten Firearms. And he makes a reference to General Custer and the, and the Battle of Little Bighorn. And I couldn't help but to share this, that the Indians had begun the day armed with a plethora of weapons, including a favorite Native American rifle, the Winchester. The repeater gave them a powerful edge when the fighting got closer. Listen, the Indians at the Little Bighorn used at least 47 different types of firearms against the 7th Cavalry. The complete annihilation of Custer and his troops at Little Bighorn was the biggest victory ever achieved by Native Americans against the U.S. Army. And debates have raged among historians and firearm buffs for decades around Custer's mistakes over alternative histories of the Bighorn battle about what difference various guns might have made but at the risk of being an armchair quarterback, let's just suggest one gun that Custer should have taken along, a revolutionary weapon that might have saved him and his troops. It's called the Gatling gun. So the whole reality is, is he lost the battle because of the lack of firepower. My good Indian friends told me that Custer wore arrow shirts. Some of you will get it later. You'll be going home and you'll, it'll hit you. <laughs> Listen to what he writes here. Custer's problems were magnified by his tactics. The terrain, the brushy landscape had hid the size of the Indian force. His impulsive race to attack the huge, huge Indian village took him out of the range of reinforcement. He split up his command repeatedly on the battlefield and launched his attack without much in the way of reconnaissance. And it cost him the battle. The issue is firepower, and we have the power. And what's at stake, as I close tonight, is the harvest. The desperate need is for firepower. A church on fire will make impact upon the nations. And we find here today that in the story, he underestimated the enemy, and many times we underestimate the enemy. The church has inferior weapons. Listen, the Bible said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And we have the heavy artillery. I was uh, moved, one of our young people who got saved, we have a tremendous youth group. 
Last uh, Friday night, 125 of them were on the street preaching. One young lady that's there, she's just uh, in her college, she had a thesis, and she's got a burden for Japan. And she wrote the the thesis for her class, and she handed it to me. I read this on a flight recently. She said, as God has sent revival in communist China, breaking through the political and religious unrest in Iraq and dethroning false religions in India, God can do the same for the land of the rising sun. Man, I was proud of her. One day every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. We're simply messengers. God does not need to be defended. He is the King of kings and Lord of hosts. His word will not come back to him void. The blood of the martyrs and the legacy of Christians in Japan in the past are not in vain. She said, even right now, the door of evangelism for the advancement of the kingdom of God in Japan is wide open. History reveals that this has not always been the case. History yet repeats itself again. God's eyes are searching to and fro throughout the earth to use those whose heart is perfect toward his glory. The very heartbeat of God is for humankind. His will is for all to come to repentance. The majority of the Japanese population have yet to know Jesus as more than a major religious figure for much of the Western world, but as the Lamb of God who was the price for sin. At first glance, their outward appearance may paint the false picture denoting perfection, happiness, parallel to, uh, unparalleled their technological advancements, oversaturation of leisure and entertainment. But many, especially the youth, are resorting to suicide because they fall short of society's high standards of education and success. Listen to what she writes. Will you be obedient to the call and answer as Isaiah said, here am I, I send me. We're no longer in the last days, but even closer to the second coming of Christ. We are the torch bearers in this generation living these final hours. Let it be said of us that our generation made up the hedge, stand in the gap before God for the land that God should not destroy it. It is then that the redemption of the Son of God will be made known in the land of the rising sun. Here's General MacArthur begging for missionaries just after World War II. Send us 1,500 missionaries. America sent 150. And we lost an opportunity. The nations are calling. I have a big banner. It's in our sanctuary. I stole it from the Filipinos in Manila tacked it on the wall it says the nations are waiting and they're waiting for men and women that are on fire for God don't you ever let cessationists rob you of the powerful gift that you have what a wonderful asset to your prayer life we're going to pray for folks in just a minute I want us to bow our heads together in the presence of the Lord tonight the Holy Spirit is moving crying need for fire here's a young lady discipled in our churches raised up in our churches and she gets it men and women set on fire by the power of God is the answer to the need of the nation the problem tonight is not strange fire That's a minimal problem. 
the issue tonight is no fire. You're here this evening and you're looking for something in your life. You're, you're a visitor here. The Holy Spirit has dealt with you. God has dealt with you. The testimonies. Word of God tonight captivated your heart. You've been tenderized by the Holy Spirit. You've been sitting in this service all night knowing that your heart's not right with God. You've never been born again. Or you're backslidden. You're far from God. Would you lift that hand up where I can see it unsaved or backslidden? Here's my hand, Pastor. Pray for me. I need Jesus tonight from front to back, side to side, all over this building. God is speaking. God is dealing with your heart tonight. You came as a visitor, brought by a friend or a relative. You realize your heart's not right with God. Would you pray for me? Lift your hand up where I can see it. No one's looking. Heads are bowed. Front to back, side to side. God bless you. I see this hand. Thank you. Honesty. I see this hand over here. Hands are going up. Yes, I see this hand here. Anyone else? I see this hand. Thank you. You're far from God. You don't understand everything that was preached or all that went on in this service tonight, but you realize that you're sitting here tonight that your heart is not where it should be with God. You're away from God, far from God. I've come to bring you good news. Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross, shed his precious blood so that you could be free. This is the good news. Anyone else? Quickly lift that hand up. Here's my hand. I need Jesus tonight. Anyone at all? Front to back, side to side. Here's my hand. Pastor, I need prayer. Anyone at all? From front to back, side to side. I saw these hands. Hands went up. Would you look up at me, please? You, you raised your hand. Look at me. Did you, did you mean it, sir? Did you mean it tonight? I know that you did over here, brother. Did you mean it? Look at me. Sir, did you mean it? I know that you did. Back here in the back, you raised your hand. Did you mean business? Back here, you meant it. Would you come out of your seat? No one's looking. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just come and meet me right here. Amen. That's fine. Just slip out of your seat. You raised your hand there in the back. I want you to come right out of your seat and come find a place to pray at this altar. God bless these honest hearts. I want to speak to Christians for a minute. I'm talking about firepower. This is what we desperately need. These folks are going to come and pray with them. You didn't raise your hand, but God's still dealing with you as we all stand our feet. Let's all stand. This altar is open tonight. Christians, be sensitive to those around you as we sing this chorus of worship.